As Union Station gets ready to open one of the largest exhibits it's ever presented, we take you inside the new Auschwitz exhibition and speak with Union Station CEO George Costello and the exhibit's creator. Plus, our reporters are here to dissect new clashes over police. Is the mayor defunding our police or just making the department more accountable? Also this half hour, Kansas City marks one year since George Floyd's death. But what really has changed here? And did you get to meet the first lady when she was in town? The who, what, why, and when? Next. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gorley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome, everyone. I'm Nick Haynes. We take you inside the Auschwitz exhibit later in the program. But first, to dissect the week's top local headlines from our Kansas City NPR affiliate, news director Lisa Rodriguez, and leading our African-American newspaper, The Call, Eric Wesson. And keeping you up to date weekdays on KCUR-FM, Mr. Up-to-date, Steve Kraske. Is he defunding the police or just trying to make the department more accountable? Kansas City Mayor Quinton Lucas in the middle of the controversy that is now rankling our state lawmakers. They want to halt his plans to dramatically alter the way the Kansas City Police Department is funded. The fact of the matter is, no other city in Missouri, no other city almost in this country is under this same setup. All they do is defend Rick Smith and they defend mediocrity, oh. failure to perform, and they want us to keep writing these blank checks. Now, reporting on this issue has been high on emotional language, but fuzzy on what it actually means. Steve Kraske, first of all, is there going to be less money going to the police as a result of the changes that the mayor and the city council made last week to how the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department is funded? Now, actually, if Mayor Lucas gets his way, Nick, there's going to be $3 million more money going into the police department uh, should everything come together. He wants that money to go for recruiting new candidates to become police officers down the road. So why all the outrage then if there's going to be more money, Lisa? Well, the, the outrage is that, you know, the police and the Board of Police Commissioners see this as, as, as a power grab. They have characterized it as defunding the police, although the mayor will vehemently say this is not defunding the police. What it does is it takes about not quite 20% of the police budget, and it forces the Board of Police Commissioners and the city manager to negotiate how that is spent. And even the loss of that control, I think police have seen as a threat. The police chief saying he was totally blindsided by the move, uh, Eric Wesson. We have every single member of the Northland delegation in the Kansas City, Missouri Council voting against it, using words like betrayal and uh, sinister. Isn't it unusual, though, that the council decided to propose and pass something in such a short period of time without discussing it in advance? It was interesting that the council members from the Northland were so upset about it, but they haven't been upset about 174 homicides, the uh, murder of black men by police officers. They've never addressed, never said anything about that. And here, all of a sudden, when you talk about the budget, it's a big issue. It's like, you know, ropes, halt the presses, do everything that needs to be done in that area. But uh, I believe that by law, 
they have to give them 20% of the budget. I don't think that they had touched that 20%. I think that the money that they're taking is that excess money that they give the police department. We that have about 20% by law has to go and be spent on city services. It's that remainder, more than $40 million a year, Lisa, that is going to be now put into what they're calling this community fund. How is that money going to be spent? At this point, we don't have firm answers on how that will be spent. Uh, the mayor has talked about more uh, community policing initiatives or uh, social services or mental health. But I just want to address that last question, which is that this was a pretty unprecedented move. And I think the mayor figured he had one shot to get this through when he had the majority of the votes done. But it really was just a procedural move that ticked off this whole thing. And he has been accused that this wasn't transparent. It didn't get any public testimony. I think that, that may be a fair critique, but I think he saw his opportunity and knew he had to do it right away, and it was the only way it was going to pass. Steve, the city is already getting $200 million extra dollars in federal pandemic aid. Why was it even necessary to mess with any of this police funding when they were getting all that money in the first place? Well, that's a very good question, Nick. This move was done intentionally, and it was a big move. It was a move that he knew was going to get a lot of attention. If you look at this from the mayor's perspective, this is a guy who's frustrated, Nick. He has a city under siege with homicides. He can't control his own police department because the state controls it. He can't control how the money gets spent because the board of police commissioners controls that money. So he knows he's vulnerable on what's going on in his city. He doesn't have many options. This was something at his disposal to shake up the status quo, to show that he's trying to engage and make a difference when it comes to police and violence in this community. There's no other issue, Nick, that he's more vulnerable on going forward than this particular one. He's made a couple of small bore moves. This is a bigger one designed to show the city that he's on top of this issue. But I'm assuming he'll want to run for re-election, Quint, uh, uh, Quinta Lucas will, Eric Wesson. And uh, isn't he now just got a huge bunch of new people who are going to be looking for him to uh, lose at the polls the next time he runs? Yeah, exactly. Uh, he, he'll, he'll have a tough re-election bid if he decides to do it. But one of the issues that, in listening to all the civil rights groups talk about, and the mayor himself when he was on my show, was accountability. The, they just pretty much write a check for $248 million to the police department, and what exactly do they do with that money? You know, there's no line item, and by law, City Council has the authority to monitor and maintain spending habits for the, for the city of Kansas City. And they can't get a line item request. They don't know what. They just write them a check every month or however often they pay them and say, here, you guys go out and do whatever it is that you do. So I think now with this, it's more, it'll be more accountability to the police department. But how will this in any way, though, reduce uh, homicides in Kansas City, make anybody safer because they've fiddled with the way the money is being spent in this police department, Eric? Because now they can address some specific issues, mental health issues. Police department's not doing that. Social workers, they really aren't social workers. They can address those things. So they can get to the core root of, of homicides in the Black community. Steve. You know, this is going to have a number of long-term consequences, though. One is that the whole idea of regaining local control of the Kansas City Police Department, Nick, that is now out the window. State lawmakers are upset. There's a big 
uh, controversy here. That idea is not going forward. The other idea, and Lisa Rodriguez uh, mentioned this before the show, Clinton Lucas's uh, plans to run for the U.S. Senate probably just went out the window, too, because he's now seen as somehow being anti-police. That won't wash in a state like Missouri. So clearly, Clinton Lucas saw this as a need to grab, uh, put some accountability in here. The short-term ramifications outweigh the long-term. And what happens if the state legislature now comes in? They want to have a special session, Lisa. They're very angry about this, and they want to make changes to halt the mayor in the way that he can actually change the police department. But what could, they actually, what could the state actually do? You're right. The uh, Republicans, especially in the Northland, have called on Governor Mike Parson to, ca to, to call a special session to address this. They want to go about it by addressing that 20% that threshold that Eric had mentioned earlier to say, well... The minimum was 20%, but now you got to spend 25%. They're trying by any means necessary to get that money back under control of, of the Board of Police Commissioners. And the mayor's response, Eric Wesson, is to, to lawmakers, his, hey, come to Kansas City, let's do a walking tour together so you can see some of these neighborhoods that have been hardest hit by violence. Any lawmakers taking up, uh, up on it at this point? No, I haven't heard any. It'll be interesting to see how this comes out. Get some popcorn, uh, Coca-Cola, and just sit back and watch the festivities over the next few months. It's also interesting timing for this because marches and rallies around Kansas City this week marking the one-year anniversary of the death of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police officers. His killing last May sparked angry protests here and around the country. It also heightened demands for police reform. Lisa, 12 months on, what has actually changed in Kansas City? And is this funding issue the biggest change or is there something else? I think when on a policy level, I think that this funding change probably is the biggest thing that's that's happened, um, you know, as far as as government and policy goes. We've seen some other incremental changes. We've seen the decriminalization of jaywalking, for example. We've seen uh, changes to the way that that police hand out parking tickets and decriminalization of marijuana. But I think really on the larger scale, um, policy aside, is what's changed is that. Many people across this country and in Kansas City, their eyes have been opened. Whether or not they were aware that, that systemic racism is an ongoing issue that is still very present and very alive today, whether they knew that all along, decided to get involved in protests, or are just realizing you know, their own privilege and just starting to examine policing and race relations, I think that is the biggest change that's happened, is this is something we cannot ignore and close our eyes to anymore. Twelve months ago, the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department was not routinely wearing body cameras. They are now, Steve. And they've also put in place a brand new policy uh, in terms of how they police uh, protest movements in Kansas City and that they need to not have big armored vehicles on the streets and need to have buffer zones. So there have been other changes, too. Absolutely. The body cameras is a big one. That's been talked about for a long time now. Every police officer, patrol officer has one. Outside law enforcement agencies investigate police shootings. That was not should not be overlooked here. And there's a directive that says if that, if that an officer uh, uh, is involved in, in a shooting that others uh, or be, being involved in excessive force, that others can step in and deal with that. That's something, too. Having said all that, uh, the seismic change that Lisa points to should not be overlooked here. It's significant. But there still seems to be a gap uh, with the east side communities, folks saying there's still a lack of trust, there's not accountability. And 
despite these changes, despite this big sweeping change, something still seems to be missing in Kansas City that, that needs to be addressed. What is the biggest demand that remains unsatisfied, Eric? Uh, police accountability is is the biggest one, the connection between the police department and the community, because it's a us against them kind of mindset and mentality and doing something about violent crime. Chiefs of police often get judged primarily on how they address violent crime. Rick Smith hasn't had to address that. The board hasn't made him address that. And one other thing that I wanted to mention that we had in the last segment of this was, I think Mayor Lucas wants a legal challenge to this. So I think they're gonna set the stage for that because he always talks about equal protection of the law. Kansas City is the only major city in the country that doesn't control its own police department. And I think that he believes, and being a constitutional lawyer, that there are some equal protection claims that he can make if they decide to pursue this in a legal matter. So if, so if there's a lawsuit filed, he thinks he's gonna win and, and there will be finally uh local control of police in Kansas City? I don't know if he thinks he can win, but I think he can create a conversation that might make some judges say, you know, this doesn't look right. You can't even ask the police department to look at their budget and they asking you for money. That's something's not right there. And I agree with him on that one. You know, in a week in which justice and race and policing have top news stories here and around the country, what are we to make this week of Missouri Governor Mike Parson making history as he appoints the first black woman to the state Supreme Court? I can't cure all of the social ills and injustices that are out there. And this appointment won't do that. Um, but what this appointment does show is that this governor has the courage to make such an appointment. As the daughter of a fireman who worked and lived in a segregated engine house when he worked for the fire department, this is a very happy day for my mom, myself, and my entire family. Lisa Rodriguez, how consequential is that? And this is, I think it's it's a huge move and, and particu particularly significant uh, this week as, as we as we reflect on, on the year that has been. This is the first uh, first black woman to serve on the Missouri Supreme Court, only the third African-American to serve on that high court. I, I think it's absolutely a, a significant move. And uh, I think a lot of people were, were really proud to see it, probably thought it's about time. Many states, of course, have never had anybody of color on their highest bench. And I will say even in Kansas, Steve Kraske never had a black person ever serve on the highest court in Kansas. Which is absolutely shocking, you know, and I, I think this move in Missouri, Nick, is two things at once. Lisa's absolutely right. It's a big deal. Uh, it's an important uh, moment for, for everybody. Having said that, keep it in perspective. In almost 200 years of statehood in Missouri, we've had exactly two African-American judges and no women uh, on uh, African-American women on the high court. So to say that it's long overdue is, is putting it mildly, Nick. Shouldn't we be celebrating some progress here, though, Eric? How did you size this up? Uh, I sized it up as the people that made the recommendation for her to the governor and the people that supported her nomination. I think that they, they did an outstanding job. I think everybody is happy and proud that finally, in 2021, Missouri has crossed that line.
You know, it's been quite some time since Kansas City had any high-profile political visits. This week, First Lady Jill Biden flies into town. She's visiting a vaccine clinic at Penn Valley Community College. Of course, there are thousands of vaccine clinics around the country. Why here, Lisa? Well, this is part of a, uh, a partnership that um, that the First Lady is, is promoting between uh, retail pharmacies and community colleges specifically, and uh, MCC and, and another uh, community college in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, were kind of the first two um, as part of that program. And so it's just kind of a part of a blending of those priorities. Um, the first lady having been a, a community college professor, it kind of falls in line there. But I will say initially, I was I was wondering the same thing. Why Kansas City? Why Missouri? And I know a lot of people at Johnson County Community College are saying, hey, hello, we get all these ratings. Why not over here? And that could have been an advantage to Jill Biden. She could have done a fundraiser uh, for uh, Laura Kelly, the governor, who certainly needs a little bit of a boost right now. Right, Steve? Well, she could have, absolutely. But it's not lost on me for a moment, Nick, that Emmanuel Cleaver, the congressman from Kansas City, was one of the first uh, African-American members of Congress to endorse uh, Joe Biden for president. This is maybe a small way to repay, uh, repay him for that gesture. From the call, Eric Wesson. From KCR News, Lisa Rodriguez and Steve Kraske. Thank you for checking in with us on our week's top stories. We appreciate you. Up next, we head inside the new Auschwitz exhibit, getting ready to open at Union Station. This is Week in Review. Have you been over to Union Station recently? Just installed outside its main doors, a windowless World War II German boxcar, the likes of which would have been transported men, women, and children to their deaths at Auschwitz and other Nazi concentration camps. It sets the scene for what is one of the largest traveling exhibits ever to come to Union Station, and some would argue it's most important as it chronicles the largest documented mass murder site in human history. It's been at least five years in the making for Union Station CEO George Costello. Also with us is the exhibition's curator and director, Louis Ferraro, who just flew in to Kansas City ahead of the exhibition's opening. I did want to start with you, George, because we'd actually normally be meeting at this time of year, co-hosting the celebration at the station event right outside your doors. Tonight. And uh, we've got so many calls and complaints from viewers saying why for the second year in a row that is not going to happen when we don't have any mask hand mandates and health orders are expiring. Why was that canceled? You know, the symphony was extremely cautious and, and still didn't know what was going to happen with the pandemic. So, you know, we, it's easy to look back and say, well, why didn't they do it? But it'll be back stronger and bigger next year. In fact, this exhibit is also a memorial as we think about the memorial exactly. of uh, Memorial Day weekend. Is this the biggest exhibit you've ever done? Single largest uh, exhibit we've ever mounted in our 20 years. And probably, I would say, the most significant that will change our community and really bring a difference to our town. You know, it's extraordinary that there's only two places, Luis, that this exhibit is being shown in the United States. It is an international exhibit. One is New York City, mm -hmm. the other right here in Kansas City. And I know George always says how amazing Union Station is. However, it seems odd to some people to think why we would be the only second city in the country to get this exhibit. Why? Well, actually, it is true that it's because Union Station. I mean, 50, I mean, in 2015, we were basically in Atlanta in a museum gathering, and I was presenting the idea, the concept of the exhibition in just two minutes. And there were, you know, a handful of museums and promoters that were listening to uh, my speech. And right after those two minutes, George and Jerry Barber came to me, and they said, we are from Kansas City, from Union Station, 
and we are completely committed to bringing this story. And, you know, it's a very special exhibition for us, and we want to work with people who have the same kind of commitment to this story and to bringing it to their community. If you've watched documentaries about the Holocaust, if you've read so many books now about Auschwitz and the concentration camps, what is there still to learn by going through this exhibit? Well, first of all, not everybody can travel to Auschwitz. I mean, uh, it is in Poland, it is uh, far away, and actually what we are bringing is pieces of history. So actually somebody who has no previous knowledge of the Holocaust or Auschwitz will, will understand how a place like that could happen and how it was possible. And somebody who is an expert, like we have many historians coming to the exhibition, they will discover maybe this particular artifact, that particular uh, angle into one story or one particular picture. What is the most meaningful artifact that resonates with you? We have, for instance, a, a shoe, a small shoe. We don't know actually who it belonged to but we know that it was either a boy or a girl, probably between four to five years old, and it has a sock inside. And to understand that this child who was together with his family going into the gas chamber, and he was told to undress and to put his things tidy together so that he could then easily identify them when he was going out of the showers, to understand actually that all of this piece was to deceive. So it's a piece that actually speaks into many different angles of this story. If you think you already know the story, George, what are you going to experience at Union Station's Auschwitz exhibit that most people don't actually know? I think what you're going to start to learn is why Kansas City was so important. This was Truman's town. When we see the displaced people, they came to Kansas City because of Truman. Where did they come? From Union Station. We have people that left the camps that walked on those historic floors. We also have a documentary that we're producing alongside the exhibit, uh, which looks at the, that Kansas City story. Yeah. You know, more than a few of those survivors were sent to Kansas City, a place they knew absolutely nothing about. So a big, it was a big map, bigger than that wall, maybe three feet wide, about 10 feet high, and I see Kansas City. I never heard the name, I never, you know, because in Europe people don't. They know New York, Los Angeles, and uh, maybe Boston or Chicago. And we should look at the map, and we say President Truman is from, from Missouri, Kansas City is the heart of America. Let's go to Kansas City. And Kansas City, here I come. Hear more stories from Kansas City Holocaust survivors and their families in the new documentary, All These Delicate Sorrows. It premieres June 17th at 7 here on Kansas City PBS. The Auschwitz exhibit opens at Union Station on June 14th. You've had a lot of sales already for this. How, how does that compare to other exhibits that you put on, because this is a really heavy subject matter. It is. Uh, Diana, which was your favorite exhibition, <laughs> we sold over 103,000 for 88 days. Already, the community has reached out. We have sold nearly 50,000 pre-sale tickets. We have no tickets left on, on Saturdays through August, and the community has embraced it. Over 38 states those tickets come from. So this will be our single largest exhibition. You know, I, I saw one review from the when the show was in um, 
in New York City, and somebody said, it was a relentless experience. After an hour and a half, I marveled that I was barely past Kristallnacht, which is really an early point in this Holocaust story. How, how long would the average visitor take to go through this experience, Louise? I would say that probably they take around two hours, but we know of people that in Madrid were six hours, and in New York there were also many hours. There are 700 artifacts. They come from all over the world, from Auschwitz itself, but from Yad Vashem, the the Holocaust Museum in um, Israel, and across the world. What was the challenge, the biggest obstacle, in getting all of those institutions to say yes when you put this together? Well, actually, it was the first time that it was done. So um, I think for all of them, and it's the first time actually that Jad Vashem, USHMM, and Auschwitz actually worked together in a traveling exhibition with original artifacts. If you went to Auschwitz in Poland, that is a free experience. It doesn't cost visitors to go there. You can go to Yad Vashem in Israel, and the same is true there, or the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. It's going to cost $23.50 for adults to come in here. Is there a squeamishness about the fact that you are charging people to based on a story that it was um, that caused so much misery in people's lives? I mean, we wish we could do this for free. Unfortunately, Musialia is actually a small company. We're a medium company. But you are a for-profit company. Yes, absolutely. And, and yes, and in these earnings, there is already part that goes directly to the Auschwitz-Birkenau State Museum to continue the efforts for preservation of the site and the artifacts. Are, are we furthering um, Holocaust education in Kansas City if we purchase a ticket at 2350 to Union well, Station? Well, you know, it's a good exhibit. question. As you know, we've talked, you had me on at the very beginning. Why is Union Station losing so much money? When are the doors going to close? And we promised you we were going to do it on our own. So we get no state, federal, or local dollars. And I want people to understand and appreciate this nearly cost $2 million to bring to this community. Of course, we raised money. So it couldn't even cover the cost of the experience. We have people from all over the world staying here for five weeks to hand build a museum in Union Station. So this is a way the grand lady is giving that gift back to the community. You're trying to get as many people in this community to come to it, though. Are there some people you would say shouldn't go? Uh, we recommend under uh, over 12, we recommend you should come. Anybody under 12, we don't believe that that's appropriate, but that's a family decision. And I think I'll also share with you, we're putting in programs such as a program for EBT. So if you have an EBT card and you show the card, you can see this exhibition for $5. So that's what we used to be called the food stamp program, exactly. now the electronic benefit totally transfer right. card. And we yes. found donors to cover so the cost. So $5 for anyone right. who is on an EBT card. Uh-huh. And we're raising all this money to ensure that every uh, underserved school in the greater Kansas City area that from seventh grade to high school can come to this exhibition for free. Union Station CEO George Guistello and exhibit creator and director Louis Ferrero, thank you for sharing this story with us again. That exhibit opening Monday, June 14th at Union Station. And that's it for this Memorial Day weekend edition of the program. I'm Nick Haynes from all of us here at Kansas City PBS. Be well, keep calm, and carry on.